invited to our Kingdom Link podcast. We are so happy and honored that you've chosen to join with us today. We have another great, fantastic episode for you today. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Tim W. Gill, but we are also joined by our very special guest, Pastor John C. Carroll. We are so honored to have you on this episode of Kingdom Link. Um, Dad, uh, why don't you go ahead and give a quick introduction to this episode that we're going to have today. All right. Uh we know that Bible study is very important, so basically what we're going to talk about is how to study the Bible. Yes, what sir. are some good tips on studying the Bible? And uh, Brother Carol, it's great to have you back again with us. It's a pleasure to be here again. And we certainly do appreciate our last podcast with you. If you haven't heard the podcast with him uh, about his book, Are You a Christian? Just go back a little bit in our podcast uh, line and uh, click on it and listen to that after you finish with this one. But, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> we we are we have a real real interesting direction that we're going today. And while this can be for every student of Scripture, this is hopefully we want to help our our ministers today that study the Scripture. We want to cover how to study study the Bible in primarily three different areas, <coughs> and that is hermeneutics, apologetics, and homiletics. And so. Uh, we're going to have David throw in us some questions, and you and I will uh, go talk up, about them. Talk about it. Yeah. But if you want, just, just greet the uh, audience today. Well, uh, again, it's a, it's again, it's a pleasure to be here with uh, the Kingdom Link podcast. Um, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. I'm uh, personally super passionate about the topic of hermeneutics and, of course, preaching uh, itself because I'm a preacher. So yes. these are exciting <laughs> topics. You know, I think we ought to hone our craft to the best of our ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. You never outgrow that. Absolutely. You never Absolutely. do. Absolutely. All right, David, let it rip. All right, so let's go ahead and start. Uh, it doesn't matter who answers this one, but uh, can uh, you guys briefly define hermeneutics, homiletics, and apologetics? All right, you want me to go? You can start. start off with that. Okay. Uh, you know, we're living in a, a post-truth culture, but <laughs> truth is so prevalent and information is so easy to get a hold of, you know, one little Google search and you can find something. The problem is that you don't know if it's true or not. So it's very important to know what is true, to value truth because it is more valuable than ever before because of the saturation of information, uh, fake news, all the other kind of junk that's out there. So uh, I believe that it's important to know scripture and how to do scripture. Let me, if I may, I'm going to borrow from Dr. Johnny James um, uh, who did a message how to preach and help nobody? Go YouTube it. It's fantastic, it's incredible. Uh, but uh, he he put it like this in dealing with those three aspects. He said, "Hermeneutics is the science or the study of the Word of God. That's to be correct. Homiletics is the art of preaching the Word. Be natural. Apologetics is the proof of the Word. Be ready." And so uh, I think this message is really good for uh, every minister. But uh, the dilemma that is facing this generation of ministry is not the lack of information. It's, the, in my opinion, the shoddy way and the lazy way we study. Yeah, mm. And uh, taking things out of context. So, uh, you know, that's a brief thing for me. You know, fill in the blank there. Absolutely. Uh, uh, hermeneutics is the art of interpreting Scripture. It's mm -hmm. going to Scripture, uh, talking about... Uh, the various types of, of context that right. are in Scripture. Um, and maybe we'll talk more about the different kinds of 
context for scripture and how we do that. But basically, hermeneutics is how we study the Bible to get the correct understanding, understanding. Of, of scripture. Let scripture speak to us, tell us what it means. And yes. hermeneutics is the science and the process um, that we can go through to, to do that effectively and to yes. do that efficiently. Yes. Yeah. Hermeneutics is is the art of preaching. It's it combines um, um, it can it combines um, homiletics. I'm sorry, is the art of preaching and combines hermeneutics with the delivery yes. mm. of scripture. To, yeah. You can't do uh, so. Homiletics is how to put together a sermon, how to deliver a sermon, how to present the m- material that you have rightly interpreted with hermeneutics. Right. And so homiletics is the presentation of of the gospel. It's how you present in a message yeah. in a sermon. And um which is I like how Brother James says it, be natural. Be natural. And be yourself. Exactly. And don't try don't, don't try to <laughs> imitate uh another preacher just exactly. your presentation of the gospel. Let it be authentic. Um Absolutely. and then apologetics is making a defense reasoned defense for what you believe, what, what the gospel is, the word of God. Yes, sir. And I, I wrote an article. I've preached about it a lot. I make the statement, what apostolics need to do is apologize to the world for everything we believe. <laughs> Amen. Make an apology. <laughs> make an apology. That's awesome. That is apologetic. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. So going off from that, um, well, we'll go ahead and throw this to you, Dad. Uh, how can we trust the scriptures? How can we be sure that the 66 books of the Bible are what God intended to be his word? Well, that that's a that's a you you, you we're going to break down a whole series of Bible studies into right. let me give it in a few points. Yeah. Number 1 because the Bible says so. Yes. <laughs> the Bible says that it is the word it's of God. It's self-authenticating. Yes. Jesus verified it. He mm-hmm. verified the indestructibility of the word, the infallibility of the word, and the authority of the word. He also, uh, you know, he spoke historically. He gave us in one context. The, the first murderer was Abel, and the last murder in the scripture, the last person was Zacharias, I believe. But anyway, so he, I mean, in that one statement yeah. shows the validity from Genesis uh, to Malachi. Uh, also, he expounded on scriptures. Uh, he he gave veracity to scripture. So I know it's the scripture because it is verified. I believe it. It's also the scripture. Mm-hmm. I can trust it because of historical facts. Right, they're out there. It is the. Uh, I mean, you want to. Yeah, ge- geological geological uh, findings have confirmed. Uh, ancient cities from the Old Testament. Yes. Right, so right. at least these com- uh, particular components of what the Bible claims in the Old Testament have have been uh, have been confirmed by archaeology and and all kinds of scientific Absolutely. methods. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus Jesus obviously viewed Adam and Eve as historical characters. The way yep. he talked about them, right. Jonah. Uh, he viewed Jonah. He viewed the the prophets as having spoken yes. from something outside of themselves. Yes, that is they they spoke from God. But another way that that I uh, that I think that um, we can know that the Bible is true is uh, my view of the of of the Olivet Discourse. At least, and uh, I think all will agree that. Uh, at least in part, what Jesus predicted in Matthew 24 uh, about not one stone shall be left standing upon another that shall not be thrown down. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. predicted that that would happen within a generation. And we saw that prediction of Jesus happen in the fall of the destruction of Jerusalem 
right. and the fall of the temple. So at least right. uh, whether one views all of Matthew 24 as fulfilled or not, we I think every eschatological model agrees that when Jesus predicted the, yes. the not one stone should be left yes. upon another, that that was fulfilled in AD 70 in the destruction of, of Jerusalem at the culmination of the Roman Jewish war. Right. Mm-hmm. So Jesus predicted with absolute precision <laughs> an event that would take place in the future. Yeah, right. And we can verify that historically through Josephus and other historians that what Jesus said actually came to pass. Yeah. And so if that is true, if that is true, Jesus predicted it with absolute precision. Obviously, Jesus is more than a man because a mere man can't have absolute perfect knowledge of the future. Right. If right. Jesus is more if if Jesus is more than a man has knowledge of the future, first thing it does is presupposes the existence of God. Mm-hmm. And so as it comes to pass the way that Jesus says it does, I can now trust the words of Jesus. Yes, I can now right. trust yeah. the words of Jesus as 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 scripture. And so I think what was a tragic event in history in AD 70 becomes one of the most pivotal and powerful historical moments that that validates Yes, the Bible as the word, the of, word God. of God, and then ultimately, I think the resurrection is is the thing that that, the that proves right. that proves it tests everything. Yes. the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. Yes, mm-hmm. and this is something obviously that's debatable. Which he predicted. Yes, right. which he also predicted. His resurrection is vindication mm-hmm. of of everything we read in Scripture. Paul says. Christ be not raised, our faith is in vain. Right. So, and that's from Genesis all and, the way back. Yes, all absolutely. The way back, right. Absolutely. All the way to the other side to, to Revelation. Absolutely. First right. Corinthians fifteen, mm-hmm. Paul talks about the gospel, how that Jesus died, was buried, yes. was raised again the third day. But here's the key point: according to Truth. the scriptures, <laughs> how that Christ died, buried, and was raised again, according, according to, to the, the scriptures. scriptures. Yes, so the resurrection of Jesus is the historical fact that is the most undeniable proof yeah. of the validity of the Bible. And, it vindicates the Bible in and of itself. And and if, okay, the Bible is the absolute most criticized and critiqued book uh, of any book in history. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. If there, it, it, when you look, one reason I can trust the Bible is because of the cohesiveness throughout its story. Yes, sir. Over 1,500 years written, <laughs> 40 different authors, three different continents, all this put together by the orchestration of divine authority. Yes, sir. Okay, so you have something like David 500 years before crucifixion was ever invented. Yeah. Predicting that Christ is going to be crucified. Yeah. A thousand years before it happened. Yes, sir. So there are, if that was incorrect, if there was a city out of line, (laughs) if there was mileage or distance incorrectly done, if there was a time period incorrectly written, those critics would have found it, would Already. have jumped on it big time. So I believe because of its co- uh, cohesiveness mm-hmm. of, of theme, that's another reason to right. trust in Scripture. Absolutely. And just a quick quote from Grandpa Gill. He said, if, if you pull a thread from Genesis, the pages fold at Revelation. Yeah. And that yeah. just shows the, the connection that the Bible has. And it, I love what you said. If there was one detail wrong, everybody there would have been someone who have found it. Absolutely. So you can trust there. Are, there are men that have tried, but any attempt at pointing out inconsistencies in the Bible have utterly failed. Well, and 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 how do you handle then the prophecies of the Old Testament 
about Messiah coming, where he's going to be born, mm -hmm. all the different things that talks about the harbinger that was coming. John the Baptist was going to come. Uh, he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. You know, all these things that were predicted uh, long, long time before that Jesus yeah. not only did fill just one of them, he all of them, all, all of them, them to absolute precision. To, to exactly, I don't know about you, but when I consider other so-called holy books, they don't have the same credibility with with what the Bible brings I, to I us. I was watching a debate with uh, with uh, John Lennox and uh, Richard Dawkins, and. Uh, Richard Dawkins asked John Lennox, what is it about the Bible? What is it about the Bible that you think makes it true as opposed to every other uh, book? Or maybe he phrased the question, what makes uh, what makes Christianity true as opposed to any other religious mm -hmm. uh, system in the world? And uh, John Lennox responded that the Bible is the only religious book that predicts and teaches that the universe had a beginning. Mm. And every other, no other religious book predicts and, and claims that the universe had a point of beginning. Right. That's awesome. According to John Lennox. And it was so funny. Richard Dawkins says, but it had a 50 50 chance of getting it right. And to which John <laughs> Lennox responded, and it got it right. You got it right. <laughs> and it got it right. You got it right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right. So, uh, Pastor Carroll, uh, this question's aimed towards you. Uh, so what is the canonization of Scripture, and why is it so important? Well, the canonization of Scripture is, is uh, the, the list of books, the rule of uh, authority uh, of Scripture, and it's the list of books that are, that are authoritatively contained in, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that rule, that standard or measure uh, of authority in Scripture. And obviously the reason why it's important is if, if we don't know what that authoritative rule of rule is, um, then all kinds of contradictory information can yeah. be included right. within that. So when you say this is what God says, this is the limit mm -hmm. upon the Word of God, then nothing outside of that has authority. And so the purpose of the canon is to say this is what God has said and yes. everything outside of this mm -hmm. is inferior to to what God has spoken and what God has said. I, you know, I'm, I'm of the um, in persuasion that the Bible is what it says it is. Yes, sir. And so when you start thinking of hermeneutics and uh, how you begin to study the interpretation of Scripture, I believe that it, it, there is a certain amount of assumptions uh, that must be in place. An atheist is going to, if he has the exact same hermeneutics, is not going to go from the same standpoint as somebody that is... A, a believer no and so uh but as as you begin to look at canon and the canonization of scripture the bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of god so if the scripture is inspired then that means god and the bible talks about the holy ghost speaking through those that had written yes then the then those people that wrote were inspired like an instrument like a saxophone player playing through that sax that sax does not create the sound no. but rather it transmits the sound mm, of yes. the wind the god breathing through to where the notes begin to come yeah. out if they were inspired then i believe that if god's big enough to do that over 1500 years with 40 different authors yeah. then he's big enough to make sure that the canonization is just covered by the same amount. I like how you use that breathing metaphor because yeah. that's 
the exact language right. that, that Paul used. That God breathed. Spirit, yes, God breathed. Theonoustos, it's God breathed. Mm. So I think that, that you know those are some things that you can trust Scripture, and I think the final way that I personally trust Scripture is the impact it's had on my life. That's, it is a that cannot be that cannot be dismissed. No, it is a transformational book. Absolutely. I've obeyed it, and it's done what it's it said it would It's done what it said. Absolutely. And, and so for me, that You've tested it in your own life. I've tested it in my own life. That's Absolutely. awesome. That's awesome. So go ahead and jumping in. We're going to go into the topic of uh, harmonetics. Uh, this is for uh, any of you that want to answer. There are so many ways people interpret the Bible. Why do you think that is? Well, again, I think that it's because a lot of times people come from assumption and it, and it bakes, basically, I think there's two primary words uh, that, that one needs to look at, and that is exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is the work one does to draw out the meaning of a passage of Scripture, drawing out the meaning that was intended mm. by the author. The opposite of drawing out meaning is to read meaning into the passage. Hermeneutics is the principles and methodology whereby exegesis is taking on place. It is the perimeters. It is the, okay, a scientist that goes through that this is the, the scientific method that we're going to go through this. But on the other hand, the danger is eisegesis where uh, one reads what they think mm. and say without considering the text. So they're yeah. going to be reading into preconceived ideas and coming from a standpoint, for instance, someone that, that, that says, I started studying to verify my belief, yeah, mm. that G Jesus was just a man. So yeah. yeah, I'm going to go, and and a lot of times it has to do with with our assumptions where we come from, whether that assumption is based on good exegesis or bad eisegesis. That's awesome. And so uh, it's sometimes called pre-understanding. Yes, mm -hmm. it's what we bring to the text yes. when you go into reading the Bible, and so the 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 reason why. <laughs> the reason why some people uh, interpret the Bible poorly is because they're not really interpreting the Bible. They're interpreting themselves. They're, they're, that's awesome. They're, they're bringing... The exactly. That's good. Yeah. that's good. So they're not really interpreting Scripture. They're, they're telling Scripture what they want it to say. I think there's another big component, and that's the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Absolutely. absolutely. Because a person can read Scripture and follow good hermeneutics, mm -hmm. but if they don't have the impression of... Of the Holy Spirit. That's right. In Genesis, God right. spoke, but he and also, the Spirit moved. That's right. right. God spoke, and the Spirit moved. And to me, that's why the Holy Spirit combined with Scripture mm -hmm. brings about revelation. Right. Yes, that's absolutely. That brings conviction as well. Yes, that's right. Uh, I I once heard uh, from a friend of mine. I uh, he said that he just loves when he feels convicted <laughs> by God. And, you know, a lot of people would be like, well, why is that? Sometimes that's more of like a stepping on your toes sort of scenario. So I love when I'm convicted by God because I feel like that's God speaking to me. Yes. Yeah. And I just I thought that was so beautiful. So uh, let's dive into some scripture. Uh, let's discuss Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read it for you. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's talk about the importance of good study habits. What do you uh, men think of good study habits? Well, uh, when, you, when you break down the word study, it comes from the Greek word spudazio. I don't know if I pronounced that exactly right. But it, it, it is translated as endeavor, due diligence, be diligence, give diligence, 
be forward, labor. Strong says it means to make haste to exert oneself. So if somebody wants to study the word of God, they're going to have to be all in. Right. All in, not looking for quick answers necessarily, but I'm going to study. It's a lifelong journey. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So for a man of God, especially, there's going to be delivering the word of the Lord, then it is important that uh, uh, we hasten to that study. Study is 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 a an intricate part of our life. You know, we were talking about this. You talk to ministers that I don't like to read. Yeah. Or I don't. You know. Uh, where you have to get your, over that. Need, need where to, you get your messages? You need Google? to find you another job. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Give attendance to reading. Paul told Timothy. Yes. If you're mm-hmm. not willing to do that, then yes. you're you're not ready to be involved yeah. in ministry. Absolutely. And, uh, you know. So uh, it, it it is in the uh, form of 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 saying, do this now. That's yes. what that word says. Study now. The urgency is dig now. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And if if the world is going to work hard at proclaiming lies with quality <laughs> and excellence. Yes, sir. Then should yeah. not the child of God that's work good. hard to proclaim the truth? And that's mm-hmm. what study is about getting in. That's so awesome. one of the one of the definitions of study that you gave was labor. I find it interesting. Paul talks about uh, elders are to be counted worthy of double honor, especially, especially they who labor, labor in word. In word, yeah. Word is work. The yes, word of is. God is Absolutely. work. It yes. is. It's hard work uh, to study and to prepare uh, in the word of God. Yeah. And uh, the text there says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman." Mm-hmm. That needeth not to be ashamed, yes, rightly divided the truth. Again, Absolutely. study is work. You've got to be willing to work yeah. at the word. And uh, he he says the study to rightly divide the word of truth. And the the question you have there is talk about the importance of good study habits. Now I've I've made this statement before, and I think it's true. To rightly divide the word of truth requires study. Notice what yeah. Paul mm. said to Timothy. He didn't tell him to pray mm-hmm. to rightly divide the word of right. truth. Right. He didn't tell him to fast to <laughs> rightly divide the word of truth. <laughs> rightly dividing the truth, word of truth is not one of the nine spiritual gifts. No. It re- I'm not saying you shouldn't Labor. pray when you study. Right. I didn't right. say you shouldn't fast alone right. when studying. Right. I'm just saying you can't have a correct understanding of truth unless you put in the work. Absolutely. To study the word so of God. You don't just open your mouth and let her fly. No, you don't go to the <laughs> flip through the scriptures and say, I, "Okay, Lord, what do you want to tell me?" Okay, I'm gonna take that. <laughs> I heard one preacher. I heard one preacher say, "You go to the prayer room. You get your word from God. Somewhere between the prayer room and the pulpit, you find your verse to go along with it." Ooh. No, sir. Ooh. There is work that goes into studying Absolutely. the word of God. I see. I see a, a, a lot of passion for preaching today. Yeah, <laughs> but not a lot of passion. Study. Oh man, Absolutely. that's so good. We're addicted to preaching. Addicted to preaching, but sometimes not as addicted to study. I, 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 I like that we we need to study to show ourselves approved. Absolutely, that was some awesome content on Second uh, Timothy two and fifteen. Uh, let's go to another verse of scripture. Let's go to Second uh, Peter chapter one and verse number twenty. Uh, and I quote: "Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation." So, uh, for you men, what role does hermeneutics play in properly interpreting or rightly dividing Scripture? Well, I think if you don't have a, a, a consistent pattern and a consistent measuring stick 
of how to uh, study scripture, you can, you can be all over the map mm-hmm. with, with, okay, I think it's this way or it's that way. And, and the Word of God has uh, one uh, interpretation as far as what does that mean in that setting? What is the context of it? Now, I can have multiple applications. applications. And I think the tragedy is a lot of times we have made applications into interpretation. Yeah. But uh, no scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Mm. No one's own, okay, I'm going to, I'll pick this. And so it'll, it'll answer this question. And so I'll use this scripture and then it will, it will verify what I believe. Yeah. And so... Uh, it can lead to false doctrine. It's kind of like where uh, Jesus was being tempted by the devil on his second temptation. Each temptation, Jesus responded, is written. But on the middle temptation, Satan used scripture against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet he said, in, in essence, Jesus is saying, but it is also written. So the devil can use scripture out of context to promote a false interpretation and a false doctrine. So we must be judicious, judicious, as Jesus gave us the example, to make sure we are interpreting that within context, uh, our, uh, a loose understanding of, you know, I think it means this, or I think it means that. What does it mean contextually? Yeah, exactly. Too often uh, people super-spiritualize the word, kind of go to the Bible like a, uh, like a Christian Ouija board. Mm-hmm. And we go to the Bible trying to find this little, this super uh, esoteric yeah. uh, meaning in Scripture. And right. kind of a humorous illustration of that was this guy was, story says this guy was really struggling with uh, some issues and he wanted to go to the Bible for a word from the Lord, you know. Right. And he, so he opens his Bible and and uh, first verse he said was, uh, first verse he came to was, and Judas hung himself. Oh. And, uh he said, well, I'm going to try that again. And, <laughs> and, uh, and he opened it to another verse and it said, go and do that likewise. <laughs> he said, well, and, and opened it to another verse and it said, what thou doest, do thou quickly. <laughs> and so <coughs> oh. this is not how the it's Bible, like, that's like, not how God intended for us to read huh. Scripture. He did not huh. intend for us to use the Bible as some kind of right. uh, Ouija board to look for some yeah. magical answer. Well, yeah. You have to read the Bible in the context of what it meant to the original audience, what right. what, what the original writer meant to convey by mm-hmm. the concepts that are written in Scripture. And there are rules in place, and we're going to talk about some of those in a moment, about how to systematically approach reading mm-hmm. reading Scripture and and. Yeah. finding out what Scripture has to say. And I think Jesus gives us a, a prime example of, of doing things in, in a way that is uh, um, systematic and with good hermeneutics. Uh, the, on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, he was talking to them, the, the Bible says the disciples said this about him. He opened to us the Scriptures. Yeah. He opened to us. What does that mean? It wasn't that he just opened a scroll. No. It means he unfolded mm-hmm. contextually mm-hmm. what that scripture meant and exposed how that this connects to that and this connects to this so they could see him in that text. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And just because the wording of a text fits what you want it to mean doesn't mean that the 
original intent of the text fit, fits what you mean. And I remember Absolutely. when I remember when the twin towers fell. You know, all of the uh, prophecy gurus were looking for the twin towers falling yeah. uh, in some kind of Bible prophecy. Right. And so some guy found a text in the Old Testament that talked about the day the towers fell. And so he immediately has this amazing revelation that yeah. the Bible predicted the Twin Towers falling in New York. Well, when you go to the text of the day the towers fell, right, has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> nothing. whatsoever. So just right. because the wording right. is there doesn't mean it matches, doesn't mean the intent of the text yes. matches. And so just because you have wording that matches doesn't mean you have the proper interpretation I, I, of a text of Scripture. I, I'll show you a personal... Uh, where I was wrong on, on the scripture. Uh, it's a little small thing, but it sure did open my eyes uh, to really study and pay attention. You know, I heard that, read the scripture where John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, as I'm growing up, all I heard was bugs and honey. big, big bug, big locusts and honey until I took my first trip to Israel and found out the locust was a fruit. Yeah. That grew on a tree, big bean-like looking fruit that they still to this day eat locusts and wild honey. Yes, sir. And and so we often preach things <laughs> totally out of context yes. mm-hmm. because you know of our cultural concept or whatever the case may be. But uh, I think God put the scripture in there. There's no private interpretation, which means not one person can separate themselves from divine authenticity. When it comes to the God breathing of Scripture, He has the right alone to define interpretation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And that brings up just a kind of humorous story. Uh, one time, Papa was on a missions trip with a young minister, and uh, <laughs> Papa was on the phone with BB, and that young minister. I can't remember the verse that he uh, read. Do you remember which one? Yeah, it was? it's you know uh, where two or three are gathered together. No, that's not it. Sorry, whatever you. What, let us agree. Two or three yeah, will two agree is touching any one yeah. thing. Uh, and, no. and so that young minister was like, uh, Bishop Walls, uh, tell uh, Sister Walls that. And he quoted that verse. And Papa had the phone in his hand and he cupped it and looked back at him and said, Do you even know what that verse means? I know. And went right back on the phone call. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, the, the, the way we use that verse is yeah. so. Amazing, yeah, isn't it powerful? Hey, I, 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 need, I need a brand, I need a brand new Cadillac right now. Come let's on, let's agree. <laughs> we got to touch it. Son of La Haya, brother Barry. <laughs> how about the the scripture? Uh, and I've heard you preach on this a powerful message on mercy. You know where you know whatever. What, as given and shall be given, given unto and you. shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed Press down, down shaken together, together, running over. And that's really not. Well, it can be maybe used application wise. Yes, but it is not. Context is not talking about putting money in an offering. No, right. No, it is not talking about putting money in an offering. It's talking about if you give mercy or judgment right. or condemnation or forgiveness right. in the text. Mm-hmm. And I think good hermeneutics will also help the preacher when it comes to preaching. Uh, we love American. Ministry loves to preach from types and shadows, and so we often can find a type and shadow in anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I, I think that one of the days when we stand before the Lord, He's going to look at us preachers and say, "Man, y'all got more out of that than I ever saw." Yeah, so <laughs> that's right. We, we we get these ideas. <laughs> he got more out of the Bible than what God did. <laughs> <laughs> so we see a, we see a type and we say, oh, "That really sounds cool." So I'm gonna I'm gonna teach it as a type and shadow, but it it doesn't work out 
because the interpretation it crosses up the interpretation yeah of that that's right and so um, it we make, ha- makes for good preaching. Yes, sir. And people clap our hands. Never and let facts Woo-hoo. get in the way of good preaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. That's awesome. So uh, I want to talk about a reasonable, logical, and systematical study. Let's go to Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So my question is, many seem to consider reason, logic, and thinking are not important to biblical study. Explain the value of reasoning and critical thinking in scriptural studies. I want you to take this because you and I have talked about this word, yeah, reasonable. So run with it, and I'll I'll tag in. Yeah, the the word reasonable there is a form of the word logos, which means uh, logic or 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 reason or intelligence. It's your reasonable service. God intends for us to engage our minds, our cognitive mm-hmm. abilities in in serving him. And to put logic or reasoning or critical thinking in op- in opposition to God or spiritual things to me is one of the most foolish it's things illogical. in the world. It, it's illogical. <laughs> and the one of the reasons is is that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word logos was God. Essential right to the nature of God's being is logos. Nothing can be more spiritual than God. God is spirit, John 4, That's 24. Awesome. Right. Nothing can be more spiritual to God. And if 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 what if logic or logos is essential to God's being, yeah. one of the most spiritual things you could ever do is think. Think, yeah. That's awesome. One right. of the most spiritual things you can do is think. And, and this scripture, I believe, ties in powerfully spiritual rationale. Yeah, that's right. Spiritual rationale, because the ne- very next verse says, "But be renewed in your mind." mind yeah, you know that you can prove what is that good, good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect, perfect will, will of God. God. That's right. And so, uh, interpreting Scripture and interpreting what God has has a great component of logic, reasoning, and thinking. That's right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and uh, reading contextually, reading something in text, part of, in context, part of doing that. Is is you want to ask yourself a series of a series of questions? Yes. What genre is the book? There you go. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to read I'm not going to read Proverbs and right. and and uh, the Book of Revelation in the same way that I'm going to read the historical books of of the Gospels. Right. That's I'm awesome. going to I'm going to read them I'm going to read them differently. Yeah. Also, what was the socio political climate? And what you're which... talk, what you're talking about right now is hermeneutics. Yes. Absolutely. That's the that's the nuts and bolts. Go ahead. That's right. So what what was the socio political climate of of the day? Yes. So whenever we talk about calling Jesus Lord in the New Testament, yeah. That wasn't mm. some mamby pamby kind of Oh, Jesus is Lord kind of concept for the (laughs) first century Christians. Absolutely. They were living in a culture where Caesar was Lord. The Caesars Mm. were called which they believed to be God. Yes, they they believed the Caesar's Lord because they believed him to be God. So Caesar, that is. That's right. So they were calling the Caesars were called Curios. They were they were Mm -hmm. Lord. And so in the first century, to say Jesus is Lord was to say Caesar is not. <laughs> That's and a powerful to, statement. And to, and to yeah. say Caesar is not Lord mm-hmm. in that in that day meant that your life was on the line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you could be imprisoned and killed. Yeah. And so to say Jesus is Lord, understand this 
understanding the the political climate yes, of saying Jesus is Lord in the New Testament gives that phrase gives that idea a whole lot more powerful uh, a whole lot more powerful of a of a statement. Yeah. So in 2020 in in America to say Jesus is Lord it doesn't does not does not carry weight. near the weight right. of saying that Jesus was Lord right. as a first century Jew living in the in the Roman Empire who did so with a well, death sentence on the right mind. absolutely right. Yeah. well and that also speaks into where you don't just read the Bible kind of gloss over it just so you can say that you read the Bible doing that understanding that takes studying it, it takes, takes work, deciphering yeah. the work yeah. it does it takes work and so that's why as a minister you need to dive into the word because right. to understand if I just read that and didn't go into the context I wouldn't get the power yeah. from them saying that Jesus is Lord I wouldn't get that but well, diving think, in I, you receive that I power. think some preachers run from hermeneutics good hermeneutics because they're afraid they're going to ultimately find out they're wrong. <laughs> and God forbid. God forbid. That I be wrong. But there are some things to take in consideration, and that is, what is the language it was written in? Yeah. I think that's important, though, because it, it brings it into a different perspective. Uh, what is the time period it was written in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the Bible is written over an extended period of time. Absolutely. So what is that time period? Uh, what is the culture that it was written in? What you know? What is their 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 particular? I love. I've got in my uh, library here customs and manners yes. of, of 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 that time period. And so when you when you get that, you're you're learning hermeneutics. What is the situation and the circumstances written around that? Yes. What is that? Who uh, was what, the author? Who was the author? Who was the audience? Right. Who? Wh- what covenant were they under? That's right. right. You know what covenant they are under because if you if you're you're dealing with in some texts. You're dealing with different languages, different cultures, different times, different situations, and uh, you 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 got to find what's that unchangeable principle. That's right. That's buried. That's right. Or that precept that, that is there to find out what the scripture. So what means. did what did the original author mean? How did the original? Who are they writing to? How did the original audience hear and understand yes. it? Right. That's the meaning of the text. Now yes. the 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 obligation. Yes. Is to see how does the principle of that that original meaning apply to me in my life right here, right now? Absolutely, and it's there. That's why we have to study and dig it out. But it takes it takes work. You can't you can't perform good study in hermeneutics in a Twitter Twitter mentality. No, you can't. One hundred forty characters. Forty one hundred forty characters. Get this out. I'm just going to Google this, and uh, but we have to be a diligent. And not lazy when yeah. it comes to study. Yeah, you can't just grab a verse, yeah, and make it mean anything right. that that you want it. Right, to, right. Anything right. that you want it to mean. Right. Another one that we misuse, and I might, I might kind of step on. I don't know what you guys think about the verse, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Well, we, we'll, uh, tell you, we'll tell you <laughs> what we did. <laughs> uh, another one that we mess up in John 10 is we we often apply the thief cometh not but for the kill, steal, and to destroy. Right. We make that the devil. Okay. When it really isn't in the context, Jesus was talking about false messiahs. All that mm-hmm. ever came mm-hmm. before me were thieves and robbers. All right. Wow. And the thief cometh not before to kill, steal, and destroy. So he was talking about false messiahs. So is it okay to preach it was the devil? Uh, you can do whatever you want to. <laughs> you can do whatever you want to. I, I, just for the sake of our listening audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, right. just I'm just saying that the context <laughs> is 
Jesus was talking about false messiahs, and yeah. they are historically documented yeah. that there were men who claimed to be messiahs before Jesus, and they came in and took advantage of and mm. plundered wow. Israel. And and all, he said, all that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. They stole. Yes. They did not give. They were not true but shepherds. Come that you might. But I've come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Amen. That's awesome. Amen. So, so that's funny. Uh, that kind of leads us exactly into our next. Uh, so you were talking about a, a verse that was taken out of context. Uh, Dad, can you also name another verse that is frequently taken out of context? Um, I don't know about frequently, but let me come. One that comes to my mind is that scripture. Uh, was it Isaiah? Say, I will work and who will let it? Yeah. You know, uh, and, you know, God's going to work. Wish somebody let him, let yeah. him work. Well, it actually means just the opposite. Hinder. Yeah, because it means I will work and who will hinder it. Yeah. It means you can't stop it. That's right. You can't stop it. I think uh, that <laughs> that is, that's one that I think that is taken out of context. Another one that I love that's taken out of context all the time is... Uh, or he says a man's gift will make room for him. Yeah. And we use that to say that if you have a gift to preach, you know, you don't don't ever call anybody, don't do what <laughs> your gift will make room for you. If uh -huh. you if you're gifted to preach, then then people will recognize it. God will open doors or whatever. But that that text, the context of that is about bribery. That your gift will make room for you. If you bring a gift, it will get you before good men. You can I see. before great men. You can pay your way into yeah. anywhere. Your gift yeah. will make room for wow. you. Make if room. you bring a gift, they will. Uh, you will be able to get in places by bringing a gift. That's what <laughs> yeah. the context of that verse yes, sir. is. That's awesome. Yes, sir. And so, but it's amazing how we tell a young man, your gift will make room for you. And then when it starts making room for him where we don't want it to, we tell him you can't go to that part. <laughs> yeah, of the, that, that, you can't yeah. go to that part no. of the room. That's awesome. <clears throat> I, I don't know if, I, if we have it in our questions, but there is one thing I definitely want to get in. So if I can break in here. Sure, go, go right Take ahead. Over. Uh, is the absolute authority of Scripture. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Go ahead. We're, we were actually coming up to Sola Scriptura right okay. there. Good. I, I, all right. Let's let's go to that, Dave. Let's go ahead. And let's uh, hit that for a minute because I want Pastor Carol to deal with that. Yeah. We're going to talk about the absolute authority of Scripture. Okay. Where do we go? So uh, let's let's take it to the, uh, the verse of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God mm -hmm. and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished, furnished unto all good works. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Pastor Carroll, we would want you to explain the phrase sola scriptura. So, sola scriptura is a Latin phrase that means Scripture alone. Okay. And so, uh, oftentimes, Pentecostals become squeamish at the concept of, of Scripture alone because... Mm -hmm. uh, too many people misunderstand what the phrase means. Yes. When we talk about Scripture alone or uh, uh, sola scriptura, we're not saying that the only way that God speaks is through His Word. We know that God reveals Himself through creation. He speaks yes. to us. Um, he speaks to us through His creation. He speaks to us by His Spirit. Mm -hmm. What we're saying by sola scriptura, Scripture alone, we're saying that Scripture is the soul infallible mm. rule of faith yeah. mm. in all things pertaining to uh, to uh, doctrine and and morals. And so when we say sola scriptura, we say scripture alone has the authority yes. to define for us what is essential right. to wow. Christian practice. Right. And and I think it, it going back to what we talked about canon scripture, 
is that a lot of people say, oh, we can't trust canon scripture because of the councils, yes. the church councils. But it was, it was canonization came to a conclusion long before uh, Constantine or any yes, other sir. councils. That, the, 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 the scripture. And they didn't even deal with it. No. In, their, in, in the Council of Nicaea. They didn't even deal with uh, the, the canonization of scripture. Right. It was already. They even considered it. It was already concluded. Yeah. And uh, but in Scripture alone, I think the danger is if I say something other than Scripture alone, then what is my source? That's right. Mm. If by I say what authority? Other, by what authority then do I declare something to be doctrinally correct? That's right. If, there is if, no other. There source. is no. Otherwise, we fall into the category of okay. Can there be another New Testament out there? Can there be another book out there? Can there be something else out there that would, you know, come in and and be added to Scripture? I think I think a lot of times where we become squeamish about it is particularly as conservative uh, uh, apostolics is it's it's uh, the parallel with Catholicism to where they have multiple equal legs of authority. It's the three three uh, legged stool of, of authority for Catholicism. Okay. And that is scripture, but also equal to scripture is the is the infallibility of the, the Pope. Priest. The uh, priest, the, yeah. the the papacy. It's yes. it's uh the infallibility of, of uh, the authority of the papacy. And so the reason why I think sometimes we become uh, a little bit uh, squeamish about scripture alone is we don't want to lose the ability to impose our own will upon the people of God mm-hmm. so that they're forced to comply with our personal personal authority yeah. and personal That's will. Awesome. Right. Uh, that was a fantastic explanation on uh, Sola Scriptura, Pastor Carroll. Uh, that leads us into our uh, next topic that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about apologetics. And uh, what I ask of you uh, men is to let's discuss, dissect, and break down First Peter chapter three verse fifteen. And I read to you: "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and mm-hmm. be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear." The ESV reads it like this: "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect." So, could you uh, discuss First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen, brother? I, I want to defer to you because uh, brother Carol, uh, first of all, you've been preaching about it here, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, certainly love uh, your. Uh, you know, the way you expounded on that. So share with us just a little bit from your, your vantage point. I'm going to try to do this uh, as quickly as possible. There's like, <laughs> there's like, there's like three, three components of the text that are, I think, super important. The first one begins with from the ESV, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Yes. And this is uh Peter quoting from Isaiah chapter eight, verses 11 to 13 where um, God tells, um, uh, where Isaiah says, uh, don't be, uh, don't be dismayed, don't be afraid of them, don't fear what they fear, right? But honor the Lord as holy. Mm-hmm. And so right. this is what Peter was quoting from, except for he takes Isaiah's statement of honor the Lord as holy, and he he writes it as honor Christ the Lord as holy. Right. So he obviously sees Christ as the personal presence of the one God of the Old Testament. Yes, sir. In the New Testament, so the same kind of honor that they were giving to 
Yahweh in Isaiah 8, he's given to Christ here, calls him Christ, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So because we mm -hmm. honor Christ the Lord as holy, we do not fear the other gods uh, of the nations that Christ is in a category alone by himself. Um, because of that, the, the way we view Christ, the elevated, uh, what we would call a high Christology, mm -hmm. um, he, because of how we view Christ the Lord as holy, we are to we are to always uh, the ESV says always being prepared to make a defense. The word "make a defense" is from the Greek word apologia, which is where we get apologetics or um, the the term apologetics. And so, to make a defense was a legal term uh, in Greek that uh, referred to a defense attorney or an attorney of some sort yes. going into a court of law making a systematic argument for yes. their client. So this is what we do for the truth of the gospel because we honor Christ as Lord. Right. We make a reasoned defense for the gospel. And the way that we do that is we do it with gentleness and respect. Yes. That that uh, we give that reasoned defense. And I love the, there's a fourth component that I love here, is he says uh, that we are always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason mm. and yeah. so the idea it's personal yeah absolutely that's right and it's when they ask us mm -hmm. that we are ready mm -hmm. for when they ask we don't go they come to us yeah we don't go cramming it down their throat we don't go shoving mm. it we don't go shoving go shoving it on them we don't try to give them answers to questions that they're not asking but when they do ask when they ask of us a reason as the king james would say that we are prepared with the answer. We are ready with a um, with a proper reason defense of the and, gospel. And you said something last night in your in your message that I thought was really it bears uh, looking at for just a little bit here, and that is n know your culture, know where you're at, mm -hmm. know kind of what you're dealing with, so you can study those That's questions right. that you may get. So if you're, you're know, in, we're, we're not going to go in here and study about. Uh, eschatology as much to give an answer if that's not where we're going to be going. This, I'm not meaning that you shouldn't study that. Yeah. I mean, it's important if you're going to be able to give an answer is study those things that you're going to be asked questions. So if I'm, if I'm going to be ready to give an answer where, where I'm evangelizing, where I'm seeking to, to do evangelism in the world, right? What, what, what kind of answers am I going to need to have to be mm. the most effective? So if I'm yeah. in a culture that's dominated by atheists, then obviously I'm going yes. to I want to be prepared to answer questions about atheism. If I'm in a culture that's dominated by Islam, then I want to be prepared to give answers, give answers about about Islam. And yes. so part of that preparation is knowing the demographic in which um, God has placed me to win souls and yes, to do sir. evangelism. Yes, yes sir. sir, and. And I think that God gives us that direction of the Spirit. You know, the Lord talks about, you know, He will give us the right word, yes. the right thing. But it's based on, if you haven't studied it, I don't think you have the 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 right to say, okay, God, you know, lay it on me. That's I right. haven't studied. You have to have the study you know, and preparation. He's going to give us that answer uh, right up at that moment. And so I think it's very important to be ready Absolutely. to give a good, strong defense, mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, as, as you say, apologize 
not not apologize that we're in the sorry. sense of saying I'm sorry. But yeah, right. right. And apologize in the sense of I yeah. can give an an answer. It's not about winning an argument. No, absolutely. It's about winning a person. It's about absolutely. winning a person. Yep, that's right. And but, I think that's sometimes where we go wrong. You you see a lot of yeah. times that we we want to be right. We're only debating this person just because we yeah. want to be right. Colossians four that I brought up in my sermon last night. Okay, pairs with this so beautiful. At the same time, he said, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word. Yes. Mm-hmm. That we may declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So he's t- talking about how we ought to speak. So right. speak the one way we ought to speak is to speak clearly. But he said, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, mm-hmm. that you may know how ye ought to answer yes. each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he talks about two ways that we ought to speak. Always we speak. ought to speak Attitude clearly. Attitude matters. It does. Motivation Absolutely. matters. So, so, not, so being prepared to make a defense is not just about doctrine. It's about demeanor. No, it Absolutely. Is. And it's not That's about such just, a powerful statement. just being ran over. No. I mean, but Jesus gave us the example. There were times, and I think you even brought this out last night, but there are times, you know, when Jesus was dealing with people with incredible gentility. That's right. Mm-hmm. Incredible kindness. Yeah. Then he's walking into the temple and knocking over, not just flipping tables, card That's tables. Right. They're stone tables. That's right. He's heaving them. Another place where hermeneutics and knowing what the culture of the time yes, was. Absolutely. It's not a flimsy table. It's not right. a flimsy table. These yeah. are stone tables that he's overturning and and got a whip going and so there are some times that that could be a a way of administering and defending or whatever the case may be but i think it's very rare yeah that's right that wasn't his normal way that's right Mm -hmm. but it became a part of a a a situation that's right And and a preacher that that uses a bully pulpit all of the time yeah is displeasing to God. He is. No but doubt about there's it. There's no joy in, mm-hmm. in beating up the saints. No. Absolutely. Or beating up people trying to defend the gospel. That's right. right. Yep. That's fantastic. That's awesome content. So uh, let's go on to our next topic in uh, homiletics. So I'm going to read Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead of his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, mm-hmm. reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. So let's talk about the value of having a systematic approach to constructing a good sermon. Wow. I mean, that's a powerful scripture that Paul talks about. But in there, he he says, preach the word. Yeah, I think it's incumbent upon every preacher to take the gift God has given them and realize they have a gift. I, I, I've had people ask me and say, okay, when you craft a sermon, how do you do that? Where'd you learn to do that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I've been preaching since I'm 14 years old. Yes, sir. And but there are certain things, and I can't explain it. That goes there. This goes here, yeah. and within the context of my preaching. Yes, sir. And I'm thankful God's put that in my my heart 
but that doesn't mean I can just sit by and not work on my craft. That's right. Mm-hmm. And do my best to to improve uh, the 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 process of preaching and doing. That's right. And, and being good at homiletics and delivery. absolutely. And there's different kinds of preaching. There is. Yeah. There's exegetical or verse by verse preaching, right? To where you take a text of scripture and you just yeah. go verse by verse right. preach each. Right. Then there's topical preaching where you yes. preach um, on a, a topic from a, a, take a systematic approach, right. To preaching topically through right. the Bible about something. So there's different types of preaching, but That's awesome. but it is important, I think, to have structure to your preaching to a, to a sermon. You don't want to just get up and, and just wing no, it. Absolutely. And uh, like my dad used to preach a message, God moves in prepared places. <laughs> That's good. God moves in prepared. That's good. Fire doesn't fall on empty altars. Sacrifices have That's to be awesome. laid in order. They yes. have to be prepared. They yes. have to be That's awesome. in place. And so God, when you put the effort into pr- preparing the Word yes. of God, God will anoint that, mm-hmm. and so too often I've heard messages where a preacher just get a, gets up to preach. It's disconnected. It's what we call a shotgun message. Yeah, he's it's all over the place. There's no continuity. There's no anything to it. He's just going in every that, direction. That doesn't necessarily give glory to God. For it sure. And it also looks sloppy. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. it looks yeah. sloppy. Or you have you have a a billion. Amen. Glory to God. Mm. I'm here tonight. Thank <laughs> you, Jesus. To Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of things that we need to work on to present the Absolutely. gospel in an effective way. I, I do believe good homiletics begins with good hermeneutics. It does. Mm-hmm. How you study. I think it's for me. This works for me. I don't know about anyone else. It works for me. I have a certain way that I go about preparing a, a message yeah. that I follow pretty religiously. That same process yeah. that I go through. And go through it again, yeah. mm-hmm. and go through it again, because you know I think it is very important to uh, to 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 have good study habits that lead to good preaching habits. <laughs> For instance, where you store your stuff, where's your research? You know, if you've got a scatter way of of, of putting things together, mm-hmm. there is great apps today. Yeah. Uh, use Absolutely. a good app to That's right. to Absolutely. you know. Put this is a fantastic time to be a minister. It is. Yeah. There's, there's so many tools to help you to put everything. You don't have big filing cabinets. You can have it just right in your iPad. Right. So you you spoke about uh, different ways uh, that you study. Pastor Kale, what are some ways that whenever you're preparing for a message, how do you study? I, I tend to study. I tend to preach through a text. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to take a block of Scripture and, and preach through that that particular text. What I will often do is I will make connections mm-hmm. from that text to another place in Scripture mm-hmm. and connect it, but I'm usually working my way through mm-hmm. a particular text of Scripture. But when you're teaching on a subject like the Godhead, obviously you're not going to be limited to a text. You're right. going to take a systematic right. approach to right. talking about the Godhead. Or How this connects other, to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Other topics. But right. most of the time I'm doing expository preaching. I'm I'm preaching my way through a single text of Scripture. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think, well, there's one cool little nugget in here about rebuke. He says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with With. doctrine. Doctrine. So the way we rebuke is not getting ticked (laughs) off, flying off the handle. That's awesome. Getting into a a fit of anger. Preaching out of a fit of anger. The way we rebuke is 
first of all, with long suffering. Long suffering. Right. It's not quick tempered. Yep. And it's with doctrine. That's how yeah. we it's interesting it. that those go hand in hand together. Yeah, it is. They certainly do. I think attitude, the way that truth is presented, is is very, very important. Uh, Absolutely. Well, while we're on this subject, Dad, do you have any tips for our listeners on studying? Uh, uh, I think, number one, outside of the Bible, let's, we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Read. Read. Filter anybody that you're reading, whether commentator or, or, or a Bible, filter it through Scripture. Filter it. I, I think it's very uh possible to read somebody that doesn't believe exactly like I believe and begin to filter it through scripture. And, Absolutely. and if I'm so rigid that I only will read certain this, or only study certain this, I might be missing something that is vital and important to me uh, moving forward. But read, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good thing. I think it's good to watch the manners of good preachers. Yep, that's learn, good. Learn, learn good pulpit etiquette. Yes, sir. That uh, is so because vital. Because you can preach a great message, and if you've got very poor pulpit etiquette yes. or how you handle yourself before you preach. Yeah. You know, my dad used to tell a story about a young man that was really excited about preaching, and he had his chest all propped up, and he was a big stuff, and he walked up there, and he was all proud like a peacock, come up to the pulpit, and he hit it hard, and five minutes later he was done, and he left. With his head hanging down, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and and so an old preacher said to him, "If you'd went up, like you came down, like you came down, you could have come down like you went up." Yes, sir. that's awesome. It, it it has a lot to do with, you know, your your presentation to be received. It has a lot to do with your stance outside of the pulpit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Pastor Carol, do you have any tips for uh, studying for any of our listeners? Um, I um. I just think uh, daily reading habits, getting into a text of scripture that that uh, ministers to you, having good commentaries, working your way through, yes. being diligent and working your way through a text of scripture. Just yes. just put in the hard work of working through a text of scripture. Yeah, and, and it's just have, that simple. Have resources for the language. That's right. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And and Greek, and it may feel like you're bogged down in it, but do it anyway. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, uh, if I wanted to just mention something in studying and going through Scripture. We deal with a lot of false doctrine. I want to talk to, talk just for a minute as we wind this up about the dangers of deception. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Um, I think that there that there is a broad apostate move today away from the word of God. Mm-hmm. I had I had a man in my office sitting right over there a few years ago that looked at me and said, I don't believe all the Bible is the authority that God speaks outside of scripture. Wow. And today the man has gone so far, so far that my heart is broken how far he went. Yeah. Because deception sets in. Mm-hmm. And delusion sets in, and the sad thing about uh, the deception, brother Osborne, brother J. H. Osborne put it like this: the problem with deception is that you're deceived. Yeah. So the deceived would be the last to know. Yeah. Mm. That they're deceived. That's good. Uh, James three and one says, "My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation." 
So those of us who give ourselves to studying the word, and we're going to call ourselves teachers, masters, we're going to come under greater scrutiny yes, Absolutely. by what we teach. The more we study, the greater the scrutiny. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. For he went on to say in verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man or mature man, and also and able also to bridle the whole body. Self-proclaimed masters of scriptures need to understand they're going to be judged. Their doctrine is going to be judged by that pronouncement. Okay, I've got a great revelation. I've got more understanding. Then we're judged by that. Whatever you preach, you're going to be judged by that preaching. Yes, sir. You're going to be judged by that, that particular text. I found this to be true in my life. Mm-hmm. Is that if I get up and preach something that may be a little harsh or something, and there's nothing wrong with that if it's done in the right spirit. But yes, sir. It's, it's, it is harsh. I will be confronted with that exact same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. It will be something I've got to deal with. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to give you six six signs of, of, of dangerous deception. Sign number one is spiritual elitism. Deception mm-hmm. causes people to believe that they are elite and in a perfect state. This is the Pharisees at work. Um, so we need to be very careful with the, you know, the thoughts of my interpretation of scripture is better than your interpretation. My pursuit of truth is better than your pursuit of truth. And no one else has the guts to preach what I preach. Yeah. Uh, we're the ones who are spiritually perfect and you're not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's very, very important to watch against that spiritual elitism yeah. that people have. Uh, Paul put it like this. If you think you're something and yep. you're not, yeah. You deceive yourself. yourself. And uh, I think it's very... Another sign of spiritual deception is irrational isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Irrational isolation produces an us-against-them mentality, a self-pity uh, isolation that no one else is willing to study like me. No one else is, has, the, has the, the, the guts to be like me. And uh, isolation is birthed by one's own passion, but the end result is hostility against wisdom because it intermeddles with wisdom. At the heart of isolation is division, and so we need to be careful of that. Third thing is the absence of accountability will bring into deception. I think that that when somebody, my dad used to say, when the banana that gets picked gets <laughs> yeah. peeled. Yep. Yes, sir. Okay. The fourth is combative complex. Everybody's against me. Their mm-hmm. tongue deviseth mischief like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Notice people that are in error uh, and deception. They are brawlers, yep. usually right. brawlers. Yep. Uh, fifth is a persistent pattern of change. The distortion of small teachings that lead to the distortion of greater teaching. And so a, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, yep. Paul said. And then sixth, you notice that the ultimate end of a spiritual deception is a mystic encounter and the pronouncement of being the self-exalted leader or prophet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so I think it's very imp- important to realize we need to guard against misapplying Scripture. Yes, sir. Unless we become deceived. James says if man goes and look at the Word of God and walks away and forget who he is, that he has deceived himself. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So I think to, today we need to be very careful Amen. in studying hermeneutics and uh, studying scripture. Run from deception Amen. Absolutely. by humility and seeking God. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Man, what a power-packed episode that we've had today. We want to thank you all for joining with us, our listeners, our viewers. Thank you, Pastor Carol, for being here. My pleasure to be here. We have thoroughly enjoyed uh, our time together. Uh, thank you all for, again, for being here on Kingdom Link. Dad, do you have anything to say to the listeners and viewers as we wrap this episode? It's been great to be uh, with you in these recordings of podcasts. Amen. And also glad to collaborate with you and with Forward Talk. Yes, sir. We look forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. It's going to be great. At some point in the future. Amen. Absolutely. So, yeah. We thank you so much again for joining. Uh, remember, here at Kingdom Link, we believe that leadership only matters if it is passed on. So pass it on today. Thank you.